Hello and welcome to the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Please remember that we have other resources and information at our website at thelatterrain.org. If you wish to hear other English audio messages, they're available for free either at our website or as podcasts or iTunes. Just look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under Podcasts as the Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. Do we understand exactly what we owe God through Jesus Christ? Because we are sinful people and because we are focused on other things, it is sometimes very hard to see clearly exactly what God has done for us and be able to appreciate Him. One way we can tell how exactly we feel about God is the way we live our life, our lifestyle. Everyone reacts differently to Jesus depending on where their heart and their interests are and what they truly value. And that can only be seen by how they live their life, the choices they make. In today's passage, we will see how different people reacted to the same God. Stay with us for a few minutes as we look into God's Word together. Let us take a moment to go to the Lord together in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. Blessing and honor and glory be to you, O King of kings and Lord of lords. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the forgiveness and mercy and grace that we find through him. Thank you, O Lord, for his sacrifice. I pray, O Lord, that you please forgive my sins and my wrongs, O Lord. And I pray, Heavenly Father, now that you may please guide us and help us understand, Lord God, your word and help us above everything to apply it, Lord God, to our everyday lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our scripture passage today is found in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verse 1 to 9. This is the word of the Lord. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always. Whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. In today's passage, we see different kinds of reactions to Jesus. We read at the beginning that the chief priests and scribes wanted only to find an excuse to kill him. We read of this Simon the leper, who in another passage we can read that he was a Pharisee that Jesus healed. And that is why the Lord was at his house, at least so it appears. We read of the people that were indignant among themselves because of supposed wasted fragrant oil, and in another passage we'll see that one of the culprits of the reprimand is Judas Iscariot. And we see this woman who is a key figure next to Jesus himself in the story. What determines that each of these people 
reacted differently to the Lord? How can there be such a variation between one person to another? Why such different perceptions? As far as Christ himself, there was no variation. He was the same Jesus to all of the people in the story. So the variation must be within the different people and what they saw in him. The first group of people that we will see are the chief priests and scribes. Why this desire to kill him? In Mark chapter 15, verse 9 to 10, it gives us more insight where it says, But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. And so envy was the problem. As odd and as backwards as that can be, they envied the Son of God. Why did they envy him? Because of the things he was able to do, because of his teaching, because of his authority. Now, how can you envy God? Well, there is one being that did envy God and still envies him until this day, and that is Satan. Satan wants to have what God has. Satan wants to be who God is. It's twisted, but that's the truth. We read of this in Isaiah chapter 14, where it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This passage is just full of envy. We read of Satan's intentions of wanting to be like God. That's all envy. The chief priests and scribes had these same feelings. They wanted to be the center of attention. They wanted to possess the power that Christ had. They wanted to be able to teach as the Son of God was able to. And since they were not able to compete against them, then in their hearts and minds, they determined that Jesus had to die. They truly hated him. That is what envy does in a person's heart. All sin is bad. But envy is probably the most destructive, especially to the recipient of such feelings, because it is a hidden feeling. Envy is typically not displayed openly. It is covered up deep inside. This is what the Bible says about envy in Proverbs chapter 14, where it says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Envy is just bad. It eats away at a person, down deep inside within them. Have you ever met an envious person? Painfully, I have. Many envious people. They're always stewing. It's quite terrible. Envy is mentioned as covetousness in the Ten Commandments. And of course, it is a definite no-no. Where it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Nor his male servant. Nor his female servant. Nor his ox. Nor his donkey. Nor anything that is your neighbor's. And so, if by any chance you have an envious heart, you need to put that before the Lord and get rid of it. Get rid of envy and covetousness because if you don't, you will never be able to understand the things of the Lord and how to treat your fellow man. It will never let you see things clearly. And if you let it, it will make you do terrible things, even have thoughts of taking another person's life. It may sound drastic, but that constant stewing and rolling of thoughts and never letting your mind be at ease will overcome you at some point and it will destroy you and others around you. That's what we see here in these chief priests and scribes. Nothing more, nothing less. As a group, they were never able to appreciate the Lord and did not rest until they had him killed. And we all know where they wound up. They may have apparently won for a moment, but Jesus was raised from the dead and now is sitting in all of his glory and splendor 
And they, well, where are they? Yes, they are in a place where the sun don't shine, but it is always extremely hot and torturous. And so it's not a good idea to have envy. So leave it behind. The other character we see in the story is Simon the leper. It appears that Simon used to be a leper, and as we can understand from history at that time, there was no healing for leprosy. If a person got leprosy, that was generally it. But biblical history tells us that Jesus healed lepers, and he healed them all of the time. So the reason for why Jesus was at the Simon's house was probably an appreciation for healing him, because there was no other way that we could gather that anybody would be around a leper because of how dreadful a disease was, and there was no cure for it. However, to better understand who Simon was, we need to see another account of the same story, which is found in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, where we are given even more detail where it says this, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so, although Simon may have been healed by Jesus, and even though he was a religious person, a Pharisee, he really did not have a great appreciation for what Christ had done for him. His appreciation went as far as just treating him to dinner. But that's it. He didn't feel that Jesus was a big deal because he even looked down on him for allowing a supposed sinful woman to touch him. He felt he only owed Jesus a small thing because he felt he had only received healing because from the account of the story and how Jesus exposes his self-righteous heart, Simon felt that he was a good person, at least much better than the woman. Now, we won't get into the woman of the story just yet. We need to look at another character. But to be able to do that, we will need to go somewhere else. We will need to see John chapter 12, verse 1 to 6, where more detail is given about one of the characters in another very similar circumstance. And this is what it says. 
Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. In this story, which is another occurrence, but a very similar situation, we are given more detail about a person. We see the disciple, Judas Iscariot, and that he is one of the main complainers about the use of the fragrant oil on Jesus, and that he is so concerned about the poor, which he really doesn't care about. Extreme hypocrisy here. John clearly points out that Judas was a thief all along, and that his intentions were always evil, that he always had an issue with money. So much for his concern for the poor. He was only concerned about what he could take. The Bible teaches us not that money within itself is bad, but rather that the love of money is bad. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so, what did Jesus feel he owed the Lord? Nothing. On the contrary, he was willing to even take from him and from the other disciples. Despite the fact of being chosen to be among the twelve and seeing and experiencing firsthand all of the miracles and teaching and wonders that the Son of God did, he chose to dismiss all of that for 30 pieces of silver in the end. How many people probably do the same thing? The love of money is a bad problem. But also, since sin is sin, how many people don't follow Christ because they don't want to change and repent from other things outside of money, putting a price on their soul, if you will, for other things, that they cannot come to Christ because they don't want to leave a certain lifestyle, certain practices. Many may point the finger at Judas very quickly, and yes, Judas was bad, but yet they do the same thing, not valuing everything God has done for them and trading God's grace for some aspect of sin. Now, in the last story, where it involved Jesus, Martha, and Mary, we see that Mary did this action of anointing the feet of Jesus, wiping them with their hair with the very costly oil of spikenard. Why did she do it? We can tell from the story and other passages that Mary was Lazarus's sister, or Jesus's friend that the Lord himself raised from the dead. And so, Mary could have easily done it because she was extremely grateful for having her brother raised from the dead. In another passage, we see Mary at the house and paying very close attention to Jesus while he was teaching. We see that in the story where the three siblings are at home and Martha's very busy and asks Jesus to tell Mary to help her because she is so busy. And Jesus tells her that he is not going to do that because Mary is rightfully paying attention to more important things like his teachings. So, Mary not only had a heart of gratitude for Christ, but also a desire to learn from him, an admiration, a deep respect. 
Jesus was no ordinary person to Mary. Jesus was at minimum the master that had raised her brother from the dead and she felt she owed him quite a big deal. And finally, we will see the woman in the two different accounts of the same story that dealt with Simon the Pharisee, who had been also the leper that was healed. Now, this woman and Mary could be the same, but it is not quite definitive, so we will keep them separate. But they both do very similar things, which is to anoint the Lord with something extremely costly and in a very humble and unique manner. We read of the woman, if you will, that she was considered a sinful woman, which could mean that she was either a prostitute or something of the sort. The irony and hypocrisy was that the women that dedicated themselves to that line of work, if you will, were seen as very low beings in society. The irony is that men that use their services should have been seen just the same way, but for some reason, no attention is drawn to that, at least by the Pharisees. However, this woman does what she does with Jesus in an act of worship and gratitude. Something prior to this event may have happened where Jesus had already dealt with her sin somehow. Maybe it was the woman that was caught in adultery that he had rescued from being stoned, but something happened with her that had affected her greatly. And Jesus explains what had happened with her when he explains to Simon the difference between his actions, Simon's actions or lack thereof, and the actions of the woman. Simon felt like he was not much of a sinner and that he didn't need much forgiveness. However, the woman did feel like she had a great deal of sin forgiven and that is why she showed him much love. Jesus explains that when a person feels like God has forgiven them for a lot of things, that they will love a lot. And there will be this great sense of gratitude and love from that person towards God. But now, regarding sin, whether a little or a lot, and before the eyes of God, it's all bad, especially when it concerns salvation. The moment anyone sins any kind of sin, that negates their entrance into God's glory. For it is written in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says quite plainly, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 elaborates even more where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one that has sinned, which would include everyone, including me, has any kind of access to God all by themselves. And we all deserve to die eternally for our sins. But God gives us through His grace and mercy as a gift, complete access to eternal life through the forgiveness of sins that can only be found through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we repent and convert from all of our sins and we ask Jesus to become the effective Lord of our lives, then and only then is that our sin that is taken away, the penalty of sin is dealt with like the woman in the story. She saw Jesus as the person that had freed her from all of the sins and wrongs she had done. She saw him as the Messiah. And because of her act of gratefulness and great love, by coming to Jesus, she found complete forgiveness and salvation. Like he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, why is this all important? For the woman, she understood fully and completely that without forgiveness of sins, there is no life, no peace and no eternity. And she must have understood that she was separated from God or from all the things that belong to God because of her wrongdoing. 
it was clear to her. And she understood that Jesus had done a great thing, an impossible thing. And she was willing to do whatever and in front of whoever to show the Lord just how appreciative and grateful she was for what he had done for her. And so here's where we need to compare our actions, our lifestyle, our way of being with God, with those other personalities we saw through the different stories and their accounts. We saw the chief priests and scribes and that they had no love for Jesus, no appreciation. Actually, quite the contrary. They hated him. They envied him. Then we saw Judas Iscariot, who preferred the things of this world rather than any kind of appreciation for the Lord. He stole from the Lord before selling him out. And as we all know, he sold Jesus to the people that envied and hated him and wanted him dead for 30 pieces of silver. Judas didn't value Jesus at all. Then we saw Simon the Pharisee, who was healed from leprosy. Even though Jesus had performed a miracle and a great service to him, there was little appreciation and love. Jesus was not a big deal to him at all. Then we see Mary and that Jesus was a very big deal to her. And we all saw that the unidentified woman also saw Jesus as a big deal and did just as Mary did. And so, where do you stand with Christ? Or rather, what does Christ see from you as a reaction to everything he has done to his person. I hope there is no one that is hearing this message that hates or envies the Lord for whatever reason. Yet, is there more appreciation for money and the things of the world or certain sin than for Christ that you cannot for some reason give Jesus that primary position, that first place as the Lord in your life? Are you like Simon the Pharisee that was healed from leprosy? That maybe God has done something great for you, even a miracle, but yet you only show him a very limited amount of gratitude? Or are you like Mary or the woman who worshipped him, who humbled themselves before the Lord and tried giving him the very best they could? How does a person come to that place like Mary and the woman? When you truly understand your reality, that you were or are lost without Christ. When you understand that your destiny is hell because of your sin and that his gift of salvation is what frees you from the destiny of going to hell, where you could spend not just a few hours, but an eternity completely separated from God and everything that is good and eternal. When you start to understand things like that, when you begin to understand the cross and everything that is involved with it, then... And only then is that a great appreciation and willingness to serve the Lord starts. And there is so much we owe the Lord at every instant, at every moment. When you realize that, then you start to understand the magnitude of things and that you can never do enough for this wonderful God that has loved you so much. If we really just take some time to read the word and contemplate the reality of our sin, the reality of the consequences of our sins, the reality that we depend for absolutely everything on the Lord, that we could not even draw breath if it wasn't for the Lord allowing for us to do that, then is that a true spirit of gratefulness and love starts to overtake us. And then is when we start to feel an incredible desire to seek after him, to follow him, to seek out his instruction and will for our lives. That's when we start to look to do the best we can for him. 
Otherwise, if we were more drawn by the world, by evil intentions, and by the sin that still dwells within our hearts, then there will be no desire to do anything of significance for the Lord. In the end, surrendering our lives and desiring to give Him all of our life is the only fair thing to do. God created us and made us, and even though we are a fallen creation full of sin, He loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, for the Holy One to die for the sins of the guilty. And so, it is only fair to feel the need to return God's great love for us. I would urge you to understand that Christ should be everything to you because He has done everything for you. That is the only fair thing to do. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. I give you thanks for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Lord God, I give you thanks for allowing us to exist, for allowing me to exist. I give you thanks for your, for your Son, Jesus Christ, because I was lost and fallen and completely far away from anything and everything that was good but through your grace and your mercy is that you gave me the opportunity to be saved and Heavenly Father it was an eternity that I was going to be away from you and away from all the good things that you have but through Christ now I'm able to be with you forever Heavenly Father thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy Help us, O oh Lord, to always be able to treasure everything and anything that you do for us. Help us to understand, to be able to see things clearly for what they are, Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that you have only extended goodness to each and every one of us. And that you only desire good for us, O oh Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, not to take for granted your good mercy and your patience. Help us to value you with all of our hearts and to look to do something in appreciation for all the goodness and grace and mercy that you've shown us. We know, Lord God, that we can only be saved through grace. But, Lord God, our works is what we have to be able to show you our appreciation, at least in some way, for the great things that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please feel free to join us again next time as we continue looking into God's Word together. If you would like to write to us, you can do so through our website. Our web address again is thelatterrain.org. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.